Just dance. How to fake it till you make it. Escaping loneliness and depression. That is the topic, the title of this week's program. The pursuit of happiness. Who does not seek to be happy? It's probably the most common answer when you ask people, what are you looking for? What would you like to achieve in your life? People will say happiness. In the Declaration of Independence, the Founding Fathers saw it as one of the three things that are unalienable rights bestowed bestowed upon mankind by the Creator. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We find these truths to be self-evident, that all people or men are, all men are created equal, and the pursuit of happiness with life and liberty are part of those unalienable rights that is the birthright of every human being. But the big question is, not that we pursue, whether we pursue happiness, but how to achieve it. The famous quote from John Stuart Mill, where he writes, those that pursue happiness will never find it. Those only are happy, he writes, who have their minds fixed on some object other than their own happiness, on the happiness of others, on the improvement of mankind, even on some art or pursuit followed, not as a means, but as, but as itself an ideal end. And you see that. As soon as somebody says, I'm going to make myself happy, as soon as you start thinking even, am I happy or not happy, that alone can make you unhappy. So how do we achieve this elusive end of finding happiness when you can't go and purchase it as a commodity or for that matter in any other way acquire it? How, does, how do we gain happiness then in life? So to use the quote of our title, just fake it till you make it, some people say, you know what? You may never find happiness, just fake it. Make believe, and at least you act on it. And then that way, some ways may have behavioral change will cause you to start feeling some happiness. But what we're going to be discussing is a far deeper approach to this. Yes, there are many different methods, but I believe that the first thing we have to establish is happiness indeed, something that is our natural state. According to the Founding Fathers, Yes, it's one of the unalienable rights of a human being given to us by God, the pursuit of happiness. So I'm not sure what they meant, whether the pursuit is what was given by God or the happiness. I would say the happiness was given by God. And therefore, we have the right, the unalienable right, to pursue every form that leads us to happiness. But the way to achieve it is not through the pursuit of happiness. The way to achieve it is to do other things that will allow that natural state to emerge. So that's the big question. Two ways to look at it. Is happiness acquired or is inherent within the human condition? If it's acquired, then some of us may acquire it, some of us may not. Sometimes you acquire it, sometimes you're not. You're sometimes in a happy mood, sometimes not in a happy mood. If it's inherent, it means it's part of who you are, then it's a whole different approach. Then it's about allowing it to uncover it and allowing it to emerge in our lives. 
And that's a very different attitude. We're going to be making the case that the latter is correct. That happiness is part of the human condition inherent. And whether it's concealed or not, it's still part of who you are. There are many faculties, many potentials, many abilities that we have that remain dormant, that remain latent within the human psyche and don't emerge. And happiness is one of them. That's the point. Now, how can we prove such a thing? Well, the best way to do it in a laboratory would be to go to the most natural human beings of all before they've been jaded or affected by society, by parents, by education, by social standards, etc. And who are those? Children. Children. Look at newborn children. Look at children in their young infancy. In their infancy. Do you ever see a child that's naturally sad? That's born sad? So, except for certain, perhaps, extenuating circumstances, and something that would lead someone to be unhealthy, or something that causes them to be unhealthy, children are naturally happy creatures. Yes, they cry if they're in pain, or if they're hungry, or something bothers them. But naturally, they naturally giggle, they naturally smile, and they're overall happy human beings. Sadness, one can argue, then, is something that comes, and again, I don't mean sadness, a cry, or a momentary, temporary uh, discomfort. That sadness, a state of sadness, a somber state, a state where you feel down, depressed, lonely, sad, is something that the children pick up from their parents, from the adults around them, whose attitudes affect these impressionable, young, vulnerable, fragile children, defenseless children. But leave them on their own, to their own accord, you find that they're naturally happy human beings. However, when you sit and you, when, you, when, when you are surrounded by people who are complaining, who, de- who are always stating how inadequate their lives are, how unfair things are, how others are better than them, and always complaining in the sense of making feel that they are lacking, of course children pick up on that. So that would be a very strong case for the inherent state of every human being is happiness. And then it can go undercover or can get distorted of what defines happiness. Like children, if you give them more money, do they become happier? Only if they see from the adults that that is something to make you happy. So what causes people to define what makes them happy, what they see their adults are telling them is happy. But the natural happiness of just exploring, playing with friends, frolicking, with free abandon, that sense of adventure and imagination, that is not being shaped by anyone. We're not talking about what that imagination should be used for, or what your pursuit should be, is a natural happy one. And the reason for this is, as the mystics will explain, is because the soul is a natural happy one. Because happiness is defined not by you smiling or by feeling good. Happiness is defined by the fact that you sense that you belong sense of purpose and meaning, and I would go even a step further, indispensability, that you're not negligible. If you knew, and you were told, and you are absolutely confident that you belong right now here in this place, in this time, to achieve something, you're told by God himself, that is the root cause for true contentment and happiness. When a person is lacking a sense of purpose and direction, 
So think of it like someone going on a journey and they get lost. What happens? We can end up panicking, get hysterical, or even if not to that extent, we get confused, disoriented, and there's an unease, there's a certain sense of, I don't know where I am. So it's no surprise that the first question that God asks Adam after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which we discussed in the last program, and there was now the birth of dissonance, the birth of a duality between who you are and what you do, between your inner core identity, your essential quintessence of who you are, in contrast to what you do and your activities when there's a dissonance. So what is the question that's asked? Where are you? Where are you? You seem lost. I don't recognize you. You seem out of place. Displacement. So psychological, emotional, and spiritual displacement is considered to be one of the worst possible states of being a person can be in. Now you'll say, I can see much more tragic events, much more tragic experiences. Those are experiences. But a state of con- your state of consciousness that feels disoriented, demoralized, lost, not knowing why am I here? Why am I being, why am I traveling on this road, not on that road? That sense, I'm looking at others, seeing them succeed. Maybe I should be doing what they're doing. That's a, that's a soul a human being whose consciousness has wandered away from their own destiny. In a sense, betrayed themselves. How that comes to be, it's not always our own direct fault. It's often, as I mentioned, the influences around us. So happiness based on this premise would be the sense that you belong. You belong here. You know why you're here. You know exactly why you're here. And I ask you, Think back of times when you really felt happy. And again, happy does not mean just momentary pleasure, instant gratification. You're eating a good piece of food, or you're enjoying company of somebody, or you're going to a party, or some other pleasure that you're indulging in. That's not what we're discussing. That's a verb. That's a verb called the action of doing things that are pleasurable. I'm talking about a state of being. When you really felt content, when you felt a certain inner peace, and harmony, peace at the center, as some say. Every time you feel that way, I can assure you, it's because you're right now in the right time and right place, you feel like you belong. You're going to, let's say, walking your child to their wedding, giving birth to a child, feeling successful at your work, finishing a project, seeing others appreciate your skills. What is the common denominator between all those elements, and they all lead to a happy state, is that you did something that was unified, integrated with who you are. You feel like you accomplished something. It's what you should have been doing, and you accomplished it. The the contrast to that is doing things, and I don't know if this is what I should be doing, whether I should be doing it this way or another way. Am I doing it for myself? Am I doing it for someone else? Is it worth the time, the effort, the energy, the money? That is an expression of dissonance which has to create a certain unease, a certain disorientation between who you are and what you're doing. But when you feel that what you're doing is an expression of who you are, you're expressing your love to someone you truly love. It doesn't have to be with dramatics. It's just expression, whether it's in words or in actions or in body language or in, uh, in other ways. You're feeling 
I am now expressing my inner self is being expressed in my, to my outer life. A sense of seamlessness. This is the natural state of every human being upon birth. Seamlessness. We may not have all the sophisticated and complex mechanisms to analyze it as children, but that's what you see a child doing. Confidently exploring. When I say confidently, obviously there's always some tenuousness, but they're exploring. And when they have the love that they deserve and the nurturing from the people around them, that builds and bolsters their confidence in themselves and therefore their seamlessness, the contrast to disjointedness, and that leads to a happy, content state, a happy child. Many people think an unhappy child is someone who's complaining, I don't have a toy to play with, I don't have friends to play with, I'm, I'm bored. Do something for me. Give me a video, give me a game, take me on a trip. That's not happiness. That's filling a void of in any way that you fill it, whether it's in healthy ways or unhealthy ways. Happiness is that content child that goes to sleep at night knowing I belong here. This is my bed. This is my room. They were my parents. I can rely on them. I feel secure. Take away that sense of security. And you'll see what happens. People become more irritated. Very, very, um, small things can cause outbursts. It ultimately leads to a lot of resentment and anger. Why? Because that fish in water is not allowed to be in that type of state. The glove, the hand inside the glove, the bird in the nest. Among the many different analogies of where something feels that it belongs. So that's its natural state. As such now, once you establish that, then the work is, so how do I access that natural state? How do I access the inherent joy that's within me and I don't feel it? I actually feel the opposite. That's where behavioral things come in. If it was just behavioral and saying, you know what, fake it till you make it, just dance, but it's not the real you, then you could say, okay, you know what, it could be a good distraction, maybe a good escape for a while. Well, as they say, some dance to remember, some dance to forget. Maybe it's just dancing to forget and it's just avoiding the issue. At least you're feeling good for the while. But if indeed, and I say only if because I'm going with that premise that that's indeed the case. If indeed joy and happiness is your natural state, then when you're faking, you're not really faking it. What you're doing is behaviorally dancing in order to access that part of you that may have gone undercover. So then you have two forces at work. Your natural state is that sort sense of happiness. And the behavioral like digs from the outside in order to access the inner juices of your happiness that's within. Which is what we have to do very often. Just using an example, when we dig for natural resources, oil, natural gas, diamonds, other valuable things, they lay within the ground. We know they're there, embedded somewhere. But you can't just expect it to emerge. So you need to do outside things. You need to drill. You need to cut away. You need to find the diamond in the rough. So you need to carve to allow it to emerge. In the words of Michelangelo that I often quote, when they asked him, how do you sculpt those beautiful angels in the marble? He says, I see the angels trapped in the marble. 
and I carved and carved and set them free. But you need to carve. But you're carving to an end because there is something deep inside. So this isn't for a pursuit. I'm going to do now. I'm going to do things in order to make myself happy. No. You do things that help others. You do things that help the world. You do something for a cause as an end in itself. And what emerges is your natural state of happiness. Because happiness is not a verb. It's not an acquisition. It emerges. And like everything that emerges, there's a process. In this fast food world, we are all looking quick fix. I want to get it and get it now. I press a button, in an hour I want to deliver it to me. That's fine with physical, material commodities. But it doesn't work when it comes to the real things in life. Truth, soul, spirit, meaning, purpose, and happiness. Truth. There, there's no shelf there's no Amazon section which says, here's where you'll find happiness, or here's where you'll find truth. They can give you objects, and some people feel those objects will make me happy, which they, most cases, don't do. And even if they do, you'll always need more. You get addicted because you're using that object to replace that natural happiness that you have within yourself. So how do we get there? So the best analogy is, well, how does anything grow in this world? You plant a seed in the ground. You nurture you cultivate, you water, you weed and get rid of any of the elements that can disturb the growth, and then what happens? It emerges, and it's a process. You can't force it. You can't pull a flower out of the ground. You can't pull a stalk of wheat out of the earth. You do what you have to do. You nurture it with the love that's necessary, and then it emerges, and that emergence will be a process. It may take a few months. It may take a few years. Happiness is exactly the same thing. It's the natural state within the earth of your being, of your psyche. The seeds are planted. What you need to do is love and nourishment and nurturing, which parents and adults should be providing, a ch- providing to a child. And then that natural state of being secure, confident, and happiness that I know I'm here for a reason. I'm not second-guessing myself. I'm, not always, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. There's an expression in the Talmud, a beautiful expression, that your inside is like your outside. It shines through. How many of us have that conflict between what face I will project, what mask I'm going to wear to what party or event or, or business or meeting, and what's really going on inside? Will people really know what, who I am? Would they still like me? A split, a dissonance between feeling comfortable in your own skin or not. But imagine you can just feel, I feel like I belong. I am, wherever I am, I feel this is the place I should be. I feel confident, secure, not arrogant, just like a fish in water. That's our natural state of being. So I didn't study or research where the founding fathers got the idea that besides life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness is one of the un- unalienable rights endowed upon us by the divine, by the creator, by God. And as I said earlier, it's not the pursuit necessarily, it's the happiness, and therefore the right to pursue it. But it clearly is a documented statement that declares, Declaration of Independence, declares a fundamental principle that not just life and not just liberty, 
But the actual happiness of a human being is natural to them. And it's not a gift bestowed by a monarch, by some authoritative despot. It's something that we all have as our birthright, as we see it in, the, in our children. And therefore, even if it goes undercover and we can't access it, it's a matter of finding the right ways to go. So one of the methods is behavioral. Actually doing things that are joyous. Look, you see people are despondent, lonely, depressed, anxious. They tend to gravitate away from others for many different reasons. First of all, we feel, you know, feel like we want to be around people at the time. We don't feel good. We don't want people to see us that way. We don't want to be a burden on others. Many of us will say, they don't understand me. I don't want to be there in that situation. So loneliness and isolation is always a byproduct, or maybe more than a byproduct, a partner with a sense of when a person feels disoriented, feels alone, feels they don't belong. So one of the ways to counter that is no. Because happiness and joy is part of your inherent state, so now do things that access it. One of the ways is to force yourself. And I mean, I say force yourself not in a way that, God forbid, is destructive or dangerous. I say push yourself. Courage yourself. And invite a friend in to maybe kick you in the pants if you need. To maybe go to an event or a party or to a simcha, joyous occasion. One of the reasons we're speaking about this topic now in the Hebrew calendar just entered the new month of Adar. And the Talmud says, when this month enters, the month of Adar, Marbin, increase in joy. Of course, the question can be asked, how can I increase in joy if I'm not happy? Which is the broader question. How could you tell me to serve with joy? You can tell me to serve even if I'm not happy. Even if I'm not happy, I should be charitable. I should be kind. But to tell me to also feel happy? How do you regulate emotions? That's only possible because it's not regulating. It's who you are. So the commandment, the direction, the guidance, which also gives us strength, is in order to allow yourself to experience it. Do things that will allow it to emerge. And one of them is, yes, just dance. Sometimes just dancing gets you in that mode. What happens is, it may be initially behavioral, external, even superficial, but then it starts getting to your inner spirit. And that part of you that is always happy within, as, as deep as it may be buried, begins to be ignited, stimulated, aroused. And then that inner part can emerge. emerge. Now, it may not, take, may not be immediate, it may take time. But that's why it's so vital to understand what your soul is about. Your life is not defined, you're not a product or a victim of circumstances. You were sent here on a mission and you have a unique and indispensable calling to accomplish in this world. You may not feel it. You may feel the opposite. You may feel you're unnecessary. You may feel negligible. You may feel dismissed. And perhaps you were by many people around you. But that's not the truth. This is an unalienable right that you have within you. And you can do things to make it come alive. And one of them is to act that way Fake it till you make it. You're faking only, in a sense, you could say you're faking and deceiving the outer voices that are telling you you're not really a happy person. So you're deceiving them by just saying, you know what, I'm going to act that way. But what you're really doing 
is generating the energy that comes from within you. It's like a person who may be an athlete and then they get into a funk. Great tennis player and then gets into a funk. Is it an injury or some psychological block? The same thing can be with a, an artist. And they just don't want to sit down with, with an instrument and play. Or with a tennis racket, just as an analogy. What does a good coach do? We know you're talented. We know you have the talent. We have seen it. You just lost confidence in yourself. For whatever reason. So the goal here is, you know what? Get back into the water. Get a racket in your hand. Sit down with the instrument. You're not in the mood. You're going to do it. Fake it till you make it. But you're not faking because you're really, what you're doing is just getting back that inner talent that's always been there. And for whatever reason, something is blocking you from accessing it. You don't want to spend the rest of your life just analyzing what the block is. Sometimes you need to work it through because there may be something that has to be resolved. But the goal is not focusing on the obstacle. The goal is to allow that which is beneath the obstacle, that, that which the obstacle is blocking, to emerge, re-emerge. And that can take work. But one of the things is actually, you can't just think about swimming. You've got to jump into the water. You've got to take that racket. You've got to take, pick up the instrument. And that's true in every area of life, whether it's writing, whether it's developing, whether it's design. Anything you do, that, that can happen. You get yourself into your blocked, writer's block. That doesn't mean your writing skills left you. You just don't have confidence in it. So it's almost as if it left. Now, joy and happiness is something that we've not been taught is part and inherent in who you are. But it's like any muscle. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be developed. And you develop it by acting in happy ways. That's why, interesting statement, that when it comes to joyous occasions, Maimonides writes, and this is based on Talmud law, Talmudic law, that happiness cannot be done alone. You need other people with you. You can say, one second, I can sit alone in my own room and be, feel content. I can play a game. I can do other things. Now, happiness, a lonely happiness, or singers, happiness done alone is not full happiness because happiness is an expression. Yes, that happiness that's inherent in each one of us is there, but the key to it is expressing it. And expression is when you invite guests, whether it's to a wedding or to another celebration, or to a dinner or to a meal in any way, there's something about celebrating with others. It makes you celebrate better. Now, can you celebrate alone? Hypothetically, you can. But it's not the full celebration. So it's the behavioral structure, the environment. You create a happy environment, which in turn feeds the happiness within the soul, within the psyche. And that's why it's not faking it. It's not just some type of you know, I don't want to force myself, people say. I'm not in a happy mood. I don't want to force myself. You're not. You're doing things that allow you to access the deeper happiness that is your birthright, that is your essence. If you think about it, this is a, a remarkable way of looking at a human being. Because at the end of the day, how do we see ourselves? If you ask yourself the question, and you don't have to publicize it to yourself personally, do you see yourself as a morose, sad, even wretched and lonely person? Or do you see yourself as brimming with potential, sense of inner peace, 
joy, comfort? Now, you'd think everybody would answer the latter, but it's not the case. Many people say the, the former, that I, I don't feel good about myself. And that takes on many different forms and shapes and variations, but that's what people say. It's very sad to hear, but that's the reality people perceive. So now ask yourself a question. Is that true or not true? You, it's true that you perceive yourself that way, but is it a true statement? Is it an objective fact? And let us say, just for argument's sake for a moment, if you're a person that thinks that way, that you're dead wrong, that the truth is that you have tremendous, beautiful qualities, and that the world needs you, and people need you, and you need you, and God needs you, and you have that all, all that potential an inner sense of peace, but it's just being covered up by an attitude, by attitudes that have shaped how you think about yourself. It's like looking in a mirror, but the mirror is distorted. So you, what you perceive is not necessarily a reflection of what you are. Most of us actually don't perceive exactly who we are. We perceive what we are aware of who we are. What others made us aware, what we are aware, what we've learned from experience. But very often we exaggerate our weaknesses, underestimate our strengths, or the opposite can also be true. But bottom line is, it's very hard to see yourself in objective light. You ever listen to yourself on a recording? Record yourself on audio and a voice note. Most people don't like their voices. Because the voice that you hear when you're speaking is a voice that you're not hearing how others are hearing it. You're hearing it through your diaphragm. You hear it on a recording, you suddenly say, oh, one second, who is that? The same thing is our perception. Our perception is not, most often not aligned with what necessarily really is reality. So yes, do we have flaws? All human beings. We're not perfect human beings, but we also have tremendous strengths. A child doesn't have this struggle because they never have tasted disappointment. They've never been tasted criticism, judgment, condescension, dismissal, invalidation. So a child is a child. I just follow my natural instincts. There's a natural joy that comes with that. But then, once you face all that I just described, the critique, the silencing, the invalidation, etc., it makes you start guessing, second-guessing. Is this, are my instincts right? One of the tragic, tragic elements of abuse, any form, especially when it's persistent and ongoing, as is not just the abuse itself. It's the judgment of the person being abused. So you come and complain and say something, this is not right. I'm not happy. I feel hurt. I feel I'm being violated. And then you're told, no, it's fine. It's really love. It's coming from a loving place. Or it never happened. As they say, the silence is worse than the rape. What happens then? The child, the one that's being violated, being hurt, Start saying, you know what, maybe my judgment is off. I'm hearing from people, older people I love, respect. You don't want to accept that they're criminals and that they're animals. That maybe my judgment is off. What happens now? So the abuse was bad enough. Now you can't even trust yourself. Can I trust my instincts? When I feel love to someone, is it really love? Maybe I'm drawn to the wrong people. These are all the questions that emerge when we get older due to what? Being forced to have to suddenly not be yourself. And your own instincts that you would have trusted and say, this is dangerous, this is not, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't seem right, 
have now also been undermined. So you can't even trust yourself. So then you grow into an adult and say, okay, so who am I? Who's the real me? We develop new personalities that emerge on the surface level and they take over. This is my personality. I've become an aggressive person because the only way I'm going to survive. I will not be vulnerable, more powerful. It could just be a young, hurt, it could just be a hurt, vulnerable child just protecting itself with layers and layers of armor because of all the hurt that it endured, the wounds and scars. So we're told that essentially you really have never disappeared. It's only your awareness may have been compromised or worse. So that's why we need to gain an awareness that's a healthy awareness. So just dance. Just let that inner sense of self, inner abandon emerge. That in turn can be, right now you may think you're faking it, but it will actually make it that way because you're accessing the inner sense of purpose, the inner happiness that is your right, is your birthright, is your essence. So that is a whole other way of looking at a human being, looking at ourselves. It takes our entire perception and challenges it. Now I'm not trying to suggest that everything you know about yourself is wrong. Even if that may be so, you still have to do it in stages because you need to assimilate and acclimate yourself to deeper truths. But isn't that what life is all about? Growing? Climbing the mountain? Seeing, broad, seeing broader horizons? Conquering new heights? Isn't that what life is about? So that's the opportunity here. It's not just about being a happy person, a joyous person. It's also about growing and having a deeper perception and awareness of who you are and what you're capable of. So, as a given, you are capable of tremendous contributions. Ones that when you do them will make you feel content. But not because you're pursuing it. You're not looking for it directly. It's like love. You don't find it somewhere. You do the right things and it emerges. You do the right thing and happiness emerges. You start focusing how happy or not happy you are. You tell me what will happen. You start focusing and comparing and so on. It doesn't work that way. It's who you are. And you have to allow that to emerge. That sense that each of us has that we are alive, that, my, that, there's, that I, have, I'm, I have a consciousness, is again, not something you can go and say, okay, here's my consciousness, let me dissect it, let me define it. It doesn't work that way. What it is, is something that lies there, waiting for you to bring it to the surface. So there's the joy, the verb of joy and happiness, the things we do, but above all, it's the state of being who you are that you'd want to, achieve, want to access. And when you do, it doesn't always, 24-7, a really happy person is happy 24-7 because it's a state of being. There are times where it looks very obvious. They're dancing, they're celebrating, they're singing, they're elated. You can see it in their whole being, their whole body language. But that's the expression of it. So our goal is to have the expression, but it should be coming from that deeper inner place, which is possible and absolutely doable. So a few practical suggestions, especially, as I said, we're in this month in Jewish thought, time is energy. It's like a spiral. So every period of time has its own energy that it's giving us, channeling to us. 
So we have to create the right containers. Now is the energy of joy, the energy of simcha. The power, and when we know when a person's joy is, they can achieve much more than when they're depressed. They're just, they're, their whole flow, their whole confidence, their entire being is more present, more invested. So practical things, especially during this month. Let's begin, do things that are joyous in nature. What does that mean? You see somewhere an event happening, make sure you attend. A joyous event, a celebration. It could be a birthday party, it could be a bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, it could be a wedding ceremony, it could be a party in general. In two weeks is the holiday of Purim. That's a festive holiday. Participate. Go to a synagogue, go to a Purim party. You say, well, I'm not in the mood. Remember, it's not your mood is your perception. What you want is to access is the joy that's inherent within. So if you're not in the mood and your mood's going to control who you are, you tell me what the results will be. So don't follow your mood. Follow your newfound awareness, if it's newfound, of that inner place. So participate. Yes, initially it may be you're just dancing, you're faking it, but that faking is actually really going to lead you to access that deeper place. One practical example. The second is do things for others. Volunteer to help someone in need. Go visit a hospital, help some needy children, special children. There are many ways to do things for others. You'll say, what does that have to do with anything? Number one, it takes the focus off of yourself. And whenever you're in a giving mode, you know what happens? Your essential nature begins to also emerge. When you're in a taking mode, what you're doing is compensating and trying to just hoard or cover up and cover up your inner lack. When you give, it feeds that sense, I have something to give. And I see how it's helping another person smile. And that smile will be returned to you. Like it says in the book of Proverbs, as a face is reflected in water, so too is one heart reflected in another. So you look at a heart and you see a heart that's smiling to you because you made it smile, so it'll cause you to smile, and vice versa. It's a reciprocal effect. The next thing is take some time in the next few days or next few weeks and study a bit about your soul. We know a lot about our bodies. We know a lot about our needs. What's your soul like? You could say, where should I begin? You can begin with my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, Chapter 1, Body and Soul. What is your soul like? Get to know yourself. As you get to know your soul, you'll get to see that it's a natural happy state because it is a, essentially knows why it's here. Think of it like uh, the author writing a book. So you read the words, and if you don't understand what the words mean or you don't understand their deeper meaning, you feel at loss. But there's the purpose, there's the message there's the narrative, there's the theme that the author is conveying through the words. That's the soul within the words. It's not just words. Words are just vehicles. They're just instruments. Same thing is with life. The divine author created each one of us with a plan. There's a narrative. There's a story. There's a theme. But we see the letters. We see a bunch of scattered letters, and we don't even know what the story is. They can also be seen completely fragmented. I wake up in the morning, I need to clean myself, wash myself, exercise, the other way around. Breakfast, commuting, work. It's a bunch of things that are taken over. Life is taken over. 
Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. As the poets say. So what happens is your actions have become defining who you are. What you do is defining who you are. So how do we reverse that? Get to know who you are. Start in the morning. Another suggestion. With that one-line prayer that I often mention. Thank you for returning my soul to me. Gratitude for giving you a new lease on life, a new renewed contract. Your soul has been returned. Your purpose in life has been returned to you. And I will do whatever I can to let that soul actualize. Same thing before you go to sleep. I entrust my spirit in your hands. Number one, you're recognizing a hot presence and a reality greater than yourself. Which is what that reality gave you that natural sense of happiness and belonging. Belonging and happiness, that order. Acknowledge it. Find ways through the day to live up to it. And you will see that happiness will emerge. Because all these things are the behavioral actions of watering the garden, of nurturing it, cultivating, and of course, uprooting any weeds, any negative behavior, any negative thoughts, despondent thoughts, thoughts that bring you down. And what happens then? You do that work, the flowers emerge. The joy, the simcha emerges. Emerges from the latent crevices of your inner psyche and soul. So yes, my friends, just dance. Dance away. And the faking it will make it because it will access the real part of who you are, which is not fake at all. This has been Simon Jacobson speaking to you about the topic of joy and happiness, of dance. And uh, this is all part of the programs that we offer at Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com, where I invite you to enjoy a journey through a wide, wide fields, and I would say gardens of interesting material, stimulating material, provocative material, all meant to serve as life skills in our spiritual health center for your growth and for your pleasure and above all for discovering your mission in life and how to actualize it all with great joy and happiness. Please stay in touch. Please share. Give us your feedback, your comments, your your insights, suggestions. We see this as a partnership. I said before that joy is only possible when it's all together. Well, 7.8 billion people on this planet and growing and counting are all part of the Cosmic Symphony, the book, the narrative, written by a cosmic author, and each of us an indispensable, absolutely necessary, not just our life and liberty, but also our pursuit of happiness. By doing the things that bring joy and contentment, by doing what you were charged to do, fulfilling the calling of your soul, of your psyche. Thank you very much. Every Wednesday, 8.30, we broadcast live. And then these programs are archived at MeaningfulLife.com, as well as many other resources, as I mentioned. Thank you very much, and be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.